You're listening to Worshipology with Curtis Parks, a biblical, practical, and spiritual conversation about living and leading worship. Let's lean into today's episode. Well, hey, I'm so excited for today's Worshipology. I've got a good friend of mine, worship leader, songwriter, and we were actually on staff together for a number of years in D.C. I'm talking to Steph Andrews today. How are you doing, Steph? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. You know, I'm just now in my new office in uh, the Richmond, Virginia area, so I'm kind of getting used to that church staff, uh, you know, the office inner dynamics again, loving the team that I'm working with. And you've been on staff up there in the Pittsburgh area for how long now? And what's the name of the church? Yes. So I'm on staff at Northway Christian Community in Pittsburgh, and I have been here since December of 2020. Love it. You know, I always ask everybody, give us a little bit of a snapshot of your story. How did you, um, how'd you start leading worship? How'd you get involved in music? What made you want to take that uh, leap into worship ministry? And maybe even just, I know you have a unique faith story, maybe even sharing a little bit of your testimony, Steph. Yeah. So I grew up around Christianity. I had two really good friends in middle school and high school who would bring me along to like youth group and things like that. And for me, it was like an opportunity to kind of experiment with like getting comfortable singing and playing for other people. But in terms of like the actual faith, I, I would say I was still pretty agnostic, probably Mm. even atheist. Like I loved the way people made me feel when I was in those communities. I liked being seen and I liked being part of the family, but Mm -hmm. getting to a point of saying like, yes, I actually believe that this is true. This isn't just a story. This is actually true for me. That didn't happen until college. And I went to the university of Pittsburgh. So I've actually made like the full circle back to Pittsburgh. Yeah. I, I really struggled with depression and anxiety and I literally stumbled into this church on like a really heavy night where, I mean, I was just, yeah, just at a very low point, really, really struggling with depression and kind of like, what is my purpose and why are we here? Like, you know, these big questions of like, what is the meaning of life? And (laughs) I walked into this church and the church I now work at and they were having this worship night in the middle of the week. And I kind of, stood there just in awe because I realized these people were worshiping God and singing about him as if he was someone that they actually knew and not just this like, you know, all powerful deity that should be like worshiped and feared, but this person that they were like intimate with and knew and felt known by. And that was a, a very like kind of revolutionary big thought for me to experience and witness. And that really began, it's about a year long journey for me of actually reading the Bible, trying to explore, you know, those doing my own like apologetics, if you will, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, before coming to a point of saying like, you know what, I, I think that this is real. I think the God of the Bible and Jesus 
like this is this is true this is real and this is something worth giving my life to mm. so at that let me pause point, you right there because yeah I, I, I already just think you know there's some valuable nuggets in there like you know you you were at a low point in your life and, and you you came to this worship night and you you realized that from what was happening with the worship that it wasn't just a, a distant God, but it was a God that can be so near and a God that you can know and be known by. And I think we were just having this conversation with a couple of our team members here at Destination. And it's like, you know, the idea that every single week people are coming in and they're at that low point. They're at that point of like, you know, I don't feel like there's anything out there for me. And they just have this moment of like, let me just give God, let me just give it a try. Let me give it like my last effort here. And yeah. to notice that there's people every single weekend, because like, you know, we're both on church staffs and a lot of people that are listening, maybe they're on staff or they've been volunteer leading for a while. And I think sometimes it's so easy to get into that mindset of like, oh, this is just what we do. Like we lead worship. And, you know, we're going to pick out the songs, we're going to get the keys, might say a prayer here and there, but to realize that, man, Jesus' heart is so for the lost. I mean, we we were in Luke 15 this morning, the lost coin, the lost uh, sheep, the lost uh, son, the prodigal son, you know, Jesus, and it's the only place in the Bible where there's three parables in a row about the same topic, right? Mm. And and it's it's the, the fact that God's heart is for the lost, and that was something that connected with you in that moment. Yeah, just keep keep going because I just really was uh, inspired by that. And I think that is a big thing to point out because, you know, even for those of us who've been following the Lord for a long time, when we're asking him for things, when we're seeking direction and counsel, we want these big, like, aha, miracle transformation moments. Mm-hmm. And I mean, don't get me wrong, like that night, I mean... I'm, I'll just be honest, like I had been struggling with suicidal ideation for a while and even like mm. imagining how that would plan out. And that encounter that night made me pause and say, this might be something worth pursuing and digging into. So it was a big moment, but it wasn't like, I know it was Jesus who was speaking to me, Holy Spirit guiding me, and I'm giving him my life right now. Like I I still mm. in my stubbornness and my my pride and my flesh, like I fought against that for over a year of like literally just studying the word and like asking questions about it and being like, Whoa, I don't like the way this idea or this passage makes me feel or like what is this saying? Mm. And I look back at that, that year and just realized that it was really laying the foundation for a lot of the Christian walk, which is just like, am I going to daily show up because I want to learn more about him and I want to come with my questions and wrestle with him through that. What does your process look like now, just as somebody who has been walking with the Lord for a while? to keep that wonder, to keep that awe, to keep that hunger for the scriptures to keep guiding you. And especially as a worship leader and especially as a songwriter, um, you know, basing your songs in the knowledge of Christ. And I mean, what's your process like? Is that a daily thing that you get into the word? Is it like a reading plan? Is it just kind of something that your church goes through? What does that look like? Yeah. So for me, I struggle a lot with, you know, if there's a spectrum of kind of like 
being more legalist on one side and more like lazy in terms of like, (laughs) (laughs) but, but you know what I mean? Like in terms of how like often we approach the word or spend time in prayer, I feel like I would err on the side of being too legalist where it's like, Mm. you know, like for example, I'm reading a chronological Bible in a year plan and I am behind significantly mm-hmm. and I find myself like, oh no, I'm going to read like four pages worth of content at once because I have to catch up. And my husband will <laughs> kind of look at me and be like, are you reading so much because you're so wrapped up in what you're saying that you like can't wait to see what it says next or are you like trying to catch up? So that's something I I do fight against where it's like, okay, am I, am I coming to meet with the Lord because I just want to spend time with him? Mm, mm-hmm. Or is it, you know, hey, this is the first thing on my to-do list today. I need to get this done because I need to give my team or my congregation or whoever, like I need a really like, wow, thought to post on Instagram kind of thing? Or is it like, I actually desire communion with my Lord and my father. So that's That's so key. That's so key. Yeah. I think it's interesting because I think sometimes we often are in our devotional time. And and if you're quote unquote professional Christian, right, you're working on a church Mm -hmm. staff or you're leading people in worship or you're on a worship team and you're going to share something in that devotional spot. Sometimes we can treat God like a slot machine, like, you know, okay, I've come, like, give me that word, like, you know, a vending machine of scripture and knowledge and truth bombs. And it's like, no, we need to just like, nothing pleases my heart more when my kids and they're 10 and eight. So these moments of just coming up to dad and snuggling are getting fewer and far in between as they get older yeah. and too cool for school. But, uh, you know, when they just come that. up, I'm not ready. I know, I know you got some young ones too. Um, but just coming up and, and wanting to spend time for the sheer sake of just being with their dad. And I yeah. think those are the moments that bless my heart more than, you know, hey, dad, I got a question for you. How do you do this? Or how do you, you know, it's like, and mm-hmm. I'm there for that for sure. I'm always there for that. But those moments, you just said it, were just, it's sheer communion out of love. And I mean, talk about that a little bit. Like, what does that look like? How do you cultivate, if you can, how do you cultivate a heart for communion with the father, especially being Mm. in a role as a, as a worship leader? Whereas you said earlier, like that was a, it's a display of intimacy. I almost think like, you know, one of our jobs as worship leaders is to put the heart of God under a magnifying glass for those who don't know him yet. Yeah. And so it's like when you take the platform or the stage or whatever you want to call it to lead worship, you're you're almost giving people a glimpse into like, hey, this is this is my relationship with my father. And I just yes. I want to share that with you guys for a few moments. Talk about that cultivating communion. Yes. And that is something that I feel like is really big because being here in in the Pittsburgh region, we have a lot of people who I feel like are coming out of a professional Christian culture where they've grown up. Mm in that like super religious environment where everything does feel like obligation and not like actual desire or hunger for communion. And I mean, I was just reminded of that importance a few weeks ago. I shared about this um, on another podcast where I had lost like all my voice memos. And then the next day, I had gone on vacation and I realized in my like 
you know, my woe is me. I just lost like all this work that I had done (laughs) and all these ideas. I realized like I'm going on a week's vacation and I left my Bible at home and yes, I can read the Bible on my phone, but it doesn't feel the same. Mm. And I felt not shame, like shame is too strong of a word, but I felt this feeling of like, Oh my gosh, like, what am I going to do? I just, not only have I lost all this work, but now I can't like, you know, complete my assignment of reading the word because I left it at home. So now what I'm supposed to do? And I felt like the father was just saying again, like, what would it look like for this week if you just woke up, came out on the porch and like hung out with me and waited? Mm. Like, don't even put music on. Just wait with me in silence for me to speak to you. And I was like, yeah. Cause I don't do that. I mean, now that, you know, I went from, <laughs> I went from this long season of feeling called to songwrite, but feeling really like unsure of myself and not sure what my, my voice as a writer would sound like to this rhythm I'm in now where I'm, you know, co-writing two, three times a week, mm-hmm. always in the process of finishing songs. And then you know, like we just mentioned, I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old. So there's always this noise all the time, (laughs) right? What do you, what do you mean? I don't know what you mean. (laughs) So it's, there's, there's so much noise all the time between like working on my craft as a songwriter, between my, my job and preparing for Sundays or other events that I'm leading, um, Mm. just being a mom and, being present with my kids, playing with my kids, listening to my kids argue. So (laughs) for me, communion with a father is really a fight to be still and to be silent before him. And again, just, I mean, Curtis, you know, my personality because I, I worked for you for a while. (laughs) Um, I, you know, I, I, that, that type A <laughs> super driven. I mean, you're like one of the only creatives I know that can also like go to an Excel spreadsheet and get excited, you know? Yes, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so for me, I'm always fighting the, the tendency and the, the urgency that I need to like perform for my father and I need to show mm. up with before him. Like when I read the prodigal son, yes, there was a time that I was the prodigal, but so often I I read that and I see myself as the older brother where it's like, look at all the things I'm doing for you. And the father's like, can you just, I just want you to sit at the table and share this meal with me. Like you don't have to try to impress me or have these like beautifully formed prayers. Like I literally just want to spend time with you. Mm, That's so key that I, you know, and it's interesting in our staff devotional today, our pastor, uh, Brian Briggs, he was sharing about that out of Luke 15, you know, the prodigal son. And, and he was just saying, you know, for those in ministry and, and those who like all the worship teams and worship leaders listening to this, are we giving people the father in that parable or are we giving them the spirit of the brother? Yeah. And the spirit of the brother is like, it's that entitlement. It's that, you know. He even when he says, you know, this son of yours squandered his inheritance, he doesn't even identify him as his own brother. 
and his yeah. father, you know, the, the father and that was like, well, actually, your brother has come home. He's like, the father is like, no, this is about relationship. And what we yeah. do is always about people. And to know that like, man, like the father, when he was a long distance off, it said that the father was filled with compassion and began to run towards him. And I was, uh, it was funny, like, you know, probably five or six years ago, I was driving Lyft when I was church planting and uh, a lady got into my car and we just started talking and uh, come to find out she's like a Hebrew scholar. And so I'm like, okay, I'm not going to oh, wow. waste this opportunity. Yeah, no. Like I want to ask her, and this is like my favorite parable. And so we're talking about that. And she goes, you know, in the original Hebrew language is actually called not the parable of the prodigal son. It's called the parable of the running father. And, oh, wow. yeah. and it just stopped me in my tracks because I'm like, you know what? So often in our, especially in our culture today in 2022, uh, we want to make, everything about us like no it's about the it's about the prodigal no no it's about the heart of the father yeah it's about his heart is towards us he loves us so much like and i think when that becomes the desire of your communion to just be with a father who's running towards us i think it changes mm -hmm. everything but i love what you said because i kind of want to mind this for a minute because we all know we live in a culture that's go 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 non-stop noise all the time and it is a fight, right, to get quiet, yeah. to be still, and to wait on the Lord. Um, the word Selah, you know, we see it all throughout the book of Psalms. And mm -hmm. truth be told, there's not really a word in our English language that can properly define it. The closest thing we can get is like to to pause and reflect or even to meditate on. But I think it's just so interesting because as David and the other psalmists are writing these songs, they put that word in there and we just read it as a lyric. But it's like, no, that was a moment where it was like, yeah. do you realize what you just sang? Let that sink in for a minute. And... You know, I know a lot of your songs, like they have that, and we can just kind of like steer this ship into songwriting mode for a minute. Yeah. You know, a, a lot of your songs do have that almost, they lean themselves towards like a, a, a meditation mindset of, I mean, you know, it's kind of has more of like, and we were talking about this last week, just like listening to your project is kind of like more like synth and pad and strings and kind of mm -hmm. atmospheric sound. Talk about the process. I mean, do those come out of your times of communion with your father? Are they kind of more um, based out of uh, live worship moments that, you know, create those spontaneous? Cause you do, you do that so well where you just lead in spontaneous and we can talk about that too, wherever you want to take it. But um, yeah. your songwriting, the heart for the, the music that you write, does it come out of uh kind of this more just free flowing place or is it kind of more like no like methodically thought out you know kind of taking captive every thought sort of yeah thing. no for sure so it's interesting because I feel like so I just released my first like full-length album on July 29th um, which nice. is called yes which is called we're gonna have we're gonna have a link to that in the show notes for oh, everybody listening yes um, it's called How Long, How Lovely, and it gets its name from Psalms 13 and Psalms 84. And every song on that project was one of two things. It was either a moment where like a lyric popped in my head and I sat down on the piano, hit record, and it literally did not change at all. Mm. Mm. Um, like the song Aware is one of my... I guess better known songs. That song was literally mm -hmm. just like a one shot. I, I didn't change a single lyric or note in the whole song. Um, or it's like, I am mining away at this thing for months and months and months. And 
you know, o- obedience and dedication of your calling. Where it feels, to this it feels craft. like you're actually, yeah, yeah exactly. Like it's, yeah. it's a little bit of work. It's a little bit of it work. It is. Yeah. So I feel like that project, which that project was also interesting because only two of the 10 songs were co-written with other people. Mm-hmm. And co-writing has been a beautiful thing for me that has really helped kind of refine my ideas and get me to places where I'm actually finishing songs a lot more frequently. Um, but the genesis of this project honestly was was COVID. During that time, at the very start, my my family and I were living in Manhattan. My husband was working in the ICU and our kids were really young. Like our youngest was seven months old when it started. Hmm. And there was just so much unknown about it. So we knew he's working in the ICU. They don't have, you know, the full protection they need. He will 100% get this at some point. Right. That's a comforting feeling, by the way. Yeah, it's great. It's great when you don't know what something (laughs) is. We don't know what this thing is, and we're probably going to get it right now. Yeah. So we made the decision as a family um, that the the girls and I would go and live with my in-laws out on their farm. So we were apart while my husband was... And literally, the day he dropped us off and went back to New York, he went to work and got COVID, like that day. Oh, my goodness. And... I mean, that was the the first strain of it. So when he got it, like he did get hit pretty hard with it. Mm. And during that time, I mean, so one, here I am with my two little girls. Like, yes, my in-laws were there helping, but it's like, okay, like I've lost my, my partner for the time being. And he is six hours away, sick at home. Mm. And I'm not like physically there with him. And yeah. during that time, like, I remember one of the first few days just like going to the Lord in prayer and being like, how am I going to get through this without, like, I can't be in like a depressive state. I have children who are depending upon me. Like, how am I going to get through this? Mm. And I remember he's like, you need to keep my word in your mouth. And Wow. I, I just started like every day I would pick a different psalm and I would just start singing it. And I mean, three of those have made their way onto the album. But yeah, I mean, that's that's where it started. It started from a place of like utter dependency on the Lord of like, you know, whatever insecurities or fears or doubts I had about myself as a songwriter, like those were just gone because I just needed to do it. Let me ask you this, because I know your songs kind of run the range of there's some songs that you could definitely, you know, see being done in church. Like his name is Jesus. I would say that's probably a song that like you could sing on Sunday. But then you got some other songs like maybe Pilgrim that would be kind of like more in that artist vein of like, and maybe I'm wrong about that, but like, I think there's definitely a difference. You're right. right, I was going to say there's definitely a difference, especially like when you're writing songs where, you know, like a song, man, this could be a song for the church, or this is a song that, you know, just from the artist heart within me that Mm -hmm. I need to write, I need to record and release. And I mean, for those who are listening, maybe give just some thought behind, you know, how do you differentiate between a song that might be for your church and then a song that you just need to write and Mm. do that out of the heart of what the father's given you and not expect anything or not put any parameters on that. 
Um, cause I know I've been in that same area where it's like, man, I, this song is like so powerful from my heart, but I just, I don't see it as a congregational song. Um, what, what is your mindset in there? What's, what's the difference maybe between an art song and a worship song? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is a great question to ask because a lot of my fears and like anxiety I had around songwriting was because, you know, I was at a church like national community church where we were writing or like when I went to New York and I was at church of the city, New York, and we were writing the, the ideas and the thoughts that were coming to my head. I was like, this is bad because the only frame of reference I had in my mind was congregational worship music. Mm -hmm, So if mm -hmm. I'm a Christian artist, I'm a Christian songwriter, I need to write congregational music. But the reality is like, I don't know about you, Curtis, but the majority of the music I listen to throughout the week is not worship music. Right. It's almost like, I don't know if it's because it's our, our job too, but like my mind almost needs to like take a pause from it. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, that's such an interesting thought because I mean, for me, if you get in my car and you plug in my phone and the songs that are going to pop up, it's, it's piano instrumentals. It's like, yeah, that that's my driving music. That's how I really connect with the presence of God is, mm. you know, just, just, I, I don't want lyrics. I don't want crazy electric guitar hooks. I just want an mm. atmosphere where I can pray and I can meditate on the Lord and, and on his word and, and pray in the spirit. And I think for, for, and I would probably say like, there's probably a lot of worship leaders who may agree with this. It's like maybe our time, uh, and our personal time with the Lord isn't always just listening to the latest and greatest release from whoever's released an album that week. But it's, you know, I do think there's, there's often times where it's like, it's healthy and it's good for us not to get locked into that. This is the only way I can worship is when there's four chords and a chorus chart yes. in front of me, you know, like, um, that's interesting. Keep going on that. Cause I definitely think there's a lot of people that would resonate with that. Yeah. So for me, Again, like during the pandemic, I started finding all these other artists that are absolutely Christian artists. Like, it's not like, you know, you're listening to a song and you're like, is this about Jesus or is it a love song? Like, it's blatantly Christian, but it does not sound like something we would play on Sunday. And it just unlocked something inside of me that said like, so for me, like all the diverse musical experiences I had had up until that moment, like, you know starting on the violin, being heavily involved in orchestra, just like being so immersed in jazz music because my parents love jazz music. Like, so Mm. those chords, those chord progressions, like my undergrad degree is in music theory and I love music theory and I nerd out over it, but I'm like, I'm not using (laughs) like any of these ideas or these chords in my writing. It just realizing that there was a place for that music. Mm. So, um, you know, I feel like the music I write, (laughs) my producer's wife was listening to the opening track and she's like, I just feel like it's like Downton Abbey meets Jesus. And I was like, that's probably like, you know, please tell me you've included that on a bio somewhere. I I mean, I, (laughs) I should, I should. Yeah. There's like this opening, you know, the instrumentals drop out. It's like an acapella, eight part vocal chorus. And then the strings come in and it does sound very reminiscent of Downton Abbey. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, for me, like the strings are there. There's a little bit of like lo-fi 
percussion inspiration, but it's very mm-hmm. like string since piano heavy, not a lot of like electric guitar, things like that. When mm. I started finding other artists that were similar to me, I realized like there's an actual place for this. Mm-hmm. And there are people who like to listen to this kind of music. And then for me, the biggest, not driving force, but something like unexpected that I didn't realize I wanted was that people who are atheists and agnostic are listening because they're like, I just think this is good music. And that mm. to me is like the icing on the cake. It's like, okay, wow. maybe someone wouldn't walk into a church service. And maybe if you played a like very, you know, stereotypical CCM or worship style song, they might be like, eh. but you know, maybe right, they right. really like love the band, like the 1975 or something. And you're right, like, right. here is something that sounds like that, but it's just, wow. you know, secretly or not so secretly about God. It kind of, yeah, it bring, I feel like it has the opportunity to bring more people in. So That's cool because it, it, yeah. it almost helps you like find your lane. It's like, how yeah. do you, you know, because I feel like there are so many different styles of worship music now. And there's like, you know, a really cool rising, almost like indie worship yes. uh, lane. And I would I'd probably say like, I mean, would you say that you kind of fall into that family of artists where it's like the indie worship Christian um, I would, but not I would like say your so. center. I feel yeah. I feel comfortable with that. Yeah, like I I remember even I was a little hesitant to release the song His Name is Jesus because it does sound more congregational than the rest of my music, but And what have you found what have you found different in that world of indie worship uh like that um that's not just, you know, Hillsong, Chris Tomlin, Bethel kind of in mm-hmm. that in that vibe, but like because as you begin to travel and, and the songs kind of find a, a, an avenue to reach people, and I think it's so interesting, you know, what is it? Oswald Chambers said, let God be as original with others as he was with you. Yeah. And it could, it could very well be that, hey, it might not be a, a song from the top 20 worship songs on CCLI that connects with somebody's heart. It could yeah. be a song that they'll never sing on a Sunday morning, but it wrapped their heart uh, the moment they heard it, what's that world like? What are the major differences that you've seen in those two worlds be, being, you know, kind of main, you know, everyday church worship versus the indie worship that you're seeing kind of coming yeah. out of the woodworks right now? So I feel like for me, I do not run very much in the like main worship world. Anymore. Which, which like, let me just say this for the listeners, Steph, you've been on staff at let's say National Community Church, like you just said, Church of the City in New York, and now Northway CC. Those are three very influential churches. So those are churches that are reaching a lot of people, and I, I just think it's pretty awesome that you've been able to find uh, your voice that's a little bit outside of that mainstream. Yeah, um, <laughs> and there's well, there's so I want to say like there's nothing wrong with that. Like if, Mm -hmm. so as I've started to write and co-write with more people, I, I more often accept co-writes for people who want to write more of this weird, like indie pop music Mm -hmm. than people who are straight up worship writers, unless it's like, Hey, I, Steph have this desire to write a song 
for my congregation. Like for example, a few months ago, I reached out to two of my co-writer friends and I was like, Hey, we are spending the whole summers reading the book of Hebrews. And I just want a song that like, is like the spark notes version of the book of Hebrews. So for me, I am writing worship music, but it is like my only desire and heart for it is that it speaks directly to what my congregation is, is learning and needs to learn in Mm. this season. So, Mm. you know, like I might register my songs on CCLI, but my goal is not like, Oh, I just want like every church to be singing this song. Right. Right. Because I do feel more led to dive in deeper to this more like indie world of worship leaders and songwriters. And Mm. what I found from that world is just, well, one, I, I've just been blown away by the joy and the celebration that's in that community. There is no, like, there's no competition. It's just been this like insane embracing of people. And, Mm. you know, I, there are artists that I love who are like championing my songs and sharing them and like, you know, talking about me, like I'm an equal, but I'm like looking at them and I'm like, you're like this huge well-known person. And I just feel like (laughs) I'm this tiny ant, but like, great. Um, there's such a there's such a beauty in that though like when we can see each other I mean obviously like there's many different people that are um, writing and and you know for whatever purpose you know to get songs out there for the church and and you know obviously as an artist there's there's a side to that as well but like when you can see people as collaboration and not competition it changes everything yeah. and that's really when that's when community community can happen I love that you're discovering that yeah absolutely and I think. I think because I was so critical of myself, I assumed that other people would be critical of me. Like I have to prove my worth to you before you let me in. And like, Mm. yes, we need to show up and we need to work on our craft and take it seriously if this is something the Lord's calling us to. Mm -hmm. But sometimes the fears that we have, we're like, we're, we're casting them on other people. Like we're not we're not even trying to like, Oh man, I can't reach out to this person because they're going to be like, I don't even know who you are. Like you're a terrible writer. Like I hate your music. (laughs) Why would I write with you? But so often it's like our own fears. Um, Mm. but yeah, so in the indie world, I found just so much beautiful collaboration happening. Like I'm seeing all the time that artists I love are starting to collaborate and sometimes it's people where I'm like, Oh, I never would have thought those two sounds would come together, but wow, this is, this is really cool. This is really interesting. That's cool. And because there's no, so there's no parameters in terms of like, Hey, you have to sing about this or Hey, you have to talk about this or Hey, like it needs to have this quality that like the congregation would be expecting. Like there's no parameters with that in indie music. So it does kind of create this freedom of creativity. Like Mm -hmm. I know one of the songs on my album that I was not going to write because the whole time I was writing it, I'm like, am I allowed to write this? Um, It's called On Repeat and it's literally a song talking to Satan. 
and it's acknowledging snap little like, screw tape letters vibe i mean basically like it's acknowledging <laughs> like hey i i see what you're doing wow you're just speaking lies over me over and over and over and over again um but it it says in the chorus go back to hell where you came from and snap i'm like i don't think we would sing this on sunday mornings like <laughs> could you see that yeah air, like let's go um <laughs> or i have another song that i co-wrote with chris douglas um down national community church and natalie hill who's another worship leader down there yeah. and the opening line of the song is i'm trying to remind myself there's a little piece of heaven in all this hell and again not really like the kind of things that we say on a sunday morning but because I have this permission to to explore, to say things differently or say different things as an indie worship writer, like I'm able to write that kind of song. And I think just, you know, from somebody who I would call myself primarily a congregational worship writer, seeing the value in both both sides of those. I mean, I love that you were like, hey, it's kind of like this the smaller church that's like, no, we love mega church. And the mega church is like, dude, if you connect better to a smaller church, go for it. I think in the mm-hmm. sizes sides of music too, it's like, hey, whatever you listen to that helps you connect to the heart of God, yes. that's that's the goal here. I love that. Hey, one more question as our time uh, comes to a comes comes to a close here. I ask this to everybody that's on worship worshipology um spirit-led worship is kind of like mm. the the uh the the goal of i think a lot of these conversations you know we want to be led by the holy spirit in our times of worship mm-hmm. um what is that to you How have you cultivated that um for the listener that's you know desiring that in in their times of worship mm. yeah that's something super important to me and i feel like I started cultivating that a lot at Church of the City in New York because, mm-hmm. you know, their their three main values are presence, formation, and mission. And mm. there's such a culture built around their their prayer room and the way they do worship is is so interesting. Like I remember my very first weekend I was singing BGVs. So like, I was just excited to be there. I wasn't leading any songs and pastor John Tyson, like came up to the worship pastor in between services and was like, I just feel like Steph has a song inside of her that she needs to release. And I just looked at Mm. Isaac, the worship pastor. And I'm like, I have no songs. I don't know what he's talking about. (laughs) I have no different step, different step. Yeah. I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, so I'll just pray and like give an exhortation and then I just want you to sing this chorus over us and like invite us into that. Well, in the moment, as soon as he started speaking, I realized that he was not mixed into my in-ear mix. So I had no idea what he was talking about. And that was like my first taste of like, I literally need to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Like he could be talking about Jesus, take the wheel. Yeah, he could be talking about literally <laughs> anything. And then I am supposed to sing in response to what he is saying, but I have no idea what he's saying. Wow. And for me, Miss like preparation checklist, here I am. <laughs> um, it was it was a little scary, but I feel like the Holy Spirit in the moment was like, Do you trust me to lead you? Mm. Do you trust me more than your own self sufficiency and your own 
knowledge and preparation. I'm like, okay, well, here we go. Cause he's <laughs> asking me to sing now. He's looking at me. So now it's time to sing a song. Wow. But being in that environment for, you know, almost two years leading in the prayer room, having some of the most incredible times of worship in a room with 12 people, mm-hmm. it's, it's taught me to honestly, to cultivate a reliance on his spirit in everything. Like if mm. I'm, and it's different for every church, whether you're given 15 minutes to lead people in worship or like 45 an hour, like if I haven't spent all of this time all week being reliant on his spirit, allowing his spirit to lead me, then I'm not going to know what it feels like in that moment. And I'm not going to know like, okay, am I just wanting to add this cool tag? Cause I think it would sound really cool. Or is this actually like what the Holy spirit is prompting me? Wow. And I think those moments where you're in those prayer rooms, where you're in those small environments, great place to cultivate that. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like low hanging fruit. And the more you get to know his voice, the more you know how to be his sound and his mouthpiece in those moments. I love it. Steph, you're awesome. I cannot wait for uh, people that maybe haven't discovered your music to give it a listen. We are going to have some of her music in the show notes, so make sure you check that, connect with her. Steph, you're the bomb. Sweet. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. You've been listening to Worshipology with Curtis Parks. To learn more and to find resources for worship leaders and teams, you can visit curtisparks.com.